I read a poem this past week that says, To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. Why do we struggle so much with relationships? Even in the body of Christ, why do we find ourselves in conflict, harboring resentment and grudges? Why why do we struggle so much with relationships? Well, we're all sinners, aren't we? But we need to understand that Jesus changes our lives. And He will make a difference. And He will make a difference in the area of our relationships, if we'll let Him. And I want you to see this in Colossians chapter 3. So turn there with me as we continue our study, line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful New Testament letter that Paul wrote to the first century city of Colossae. I want you to see what Paul has to say about the difference that Jesus makes in relationships. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 8. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Grateful this morning for the Word of God. How about you? And just grateful to be with my faith family. I'm glad to be in church today. How about you? Have I told you lately that I love you? I love you. I do. I love you. Remember that as we walk through the sermon. But anyway, (laughs) Colossians 3, verse 8, the Bible says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on, what's the word there? Love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's pray. Father, it has been... Lord, nourishing to sing about grace. Lord, I am I'm forgiven. I have been given the gift of eternal life. I have the hope and promise of heaven. I have a personal relationship with you. I've been adopted. Now I'm a son of God. And the reality is I don't deserve any of it. It's all a gift of your grace, offered freely through your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we stand in awe of of you. We, We are amazed by grace. And, Lord, I pray that you would grant us 
continued grace this morning to hear your word, to understand it, to apply it, to obey it. Father, I pray that because we bowed our hearts before your word today, we will be changed for the glory and the fame and the renown of your great name. Lord, establish my steps today in your word, and we ask and we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This passage, starting in verse 5 and going down through verse 15, centers around three commands. We studied the first command last week. It's found in verse 5 where Paul says, put to death, that's the first command, put to death what is earthly in you. And he gives a list of things we ought to put to death. The second command is the command put away found in verse 8. Paul writes, but now you must put them all away and gives a list of the things we ought to put away. The third command is a positive command found in verse 12 where Paul says, put on then, put on. There's some things we are to put away, some things we are to take off, and some things we are to put on as followers of Christ. Now these three commands convey that because of our union with Christ, now that we know Christ in a personal way, we've been saved by him because of our union with Christ, our sin nature, the old us, should not dominate our lives. Now, because we've been saved by Jesus and he's made us brand new, our sin nature should no longer dominate our lives. It no longer has power over us unless we let it. It should be put to death. It should be laid aside like an ill-fitting coat. We are new people, listen, who were called to live like it. If you know Jesus, he's made you a brand new person. And that reality ought to show up in your life. And it ought to show up in my life. So there are three commands this passage centers around. But there are two lists that are found in this passage as well. The first list are, uh, or in the first list we find a, a list of sensual sins. Look what it says there in verse 5. We studied this last week. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We studied last week the difference that Jesus makes in the area of purity. We said these are some things that ought not to characterize our lives as Christ followers. These are sensual sins, sins that deal with sensuality. But the second list we're going to study this morning deal with social sins, found there in verse 8. Look at the list. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. These are social sins. These sins deal with our relationship with others. These sins can disrupt and affect and destroy our relationships. And the context of chapter 3 is relationships in the body of Christ. Now, the Bible talks about how we should relate to those who are not believers in Jesus. Over in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed it. First Peter, Peter addresses it. But in this passage, Paul is talking about relationships in the body of Christ. Wait, how do you know that? Well, look what it says there in verse 11. Here, what's the here? He's talking about the body of Christ. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In the body of Christ... Christ is in everyone. If you know Christ, Christ is in you. So he's talking about the body of Christ. And look what he says in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. So he's, he's talking about the body of Christ, the church. Talking about our relationships between uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So what I want to do is I want to give you five steps, five steps to healthy God-honoring relationships. These are some powerful principles that should govern how we interact with others in the family of faith. Five steps to healthy God-honoring relationships. Step number one is this. You need to understand who you are in Christ. Understand who you are in Christ. Look what the Bible says there in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self. In other words, now that you've met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the old you no longer has power or dominion. It no longer has uh, power over your life unless you let it. So he talks about putting off the old self. And then in verse 10 he says, You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So he's saying now that you know Christ, the old self's been put away, you've put on a brand new you. And here's what that means. In Christ, you are a new creation. In Christ, if you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, you are a new creation, a brand new person, right? And it gets even better. Not only are you a brand new person, but daily, God is renewing you. He's doing a work of renewal in your life. Look what the Bible says there in verse 10. It said, put on the new self. You've put on the new self as a believer, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, that, that verb, being renewed there, is a present tense verb, which means this renewal is happening continually. It's happening daily. And it's a passive voice verb grammatically, which means that God's the one doing it. We're not renewing ourselves. God is the one who is renewing us. And what is God's goal? What, it, what direction is he renewing our lives toward? Look what it says there. We are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So God is renewing us on the inside to make us more like himself. If you know Jesus, God is doing that in you. He's, he's changing you on the inside to make you more like your creator. That's pretty awesome, right? That, that's what's happening if you are a believer. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Though our outer self is wasting away. These bodies are just shells, right? They're wasting away. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, the part that people can't see, the inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, wait, what's all that mean in terms of relationships? In Christ, I'm a brand new creation. In Christ, every day, God is working in me. He's renewing me to make me more like my creator. What does that mean in terms of relationships? Here's what it means. If you are saved, you have the capacity to treat people right. If you're saved, you have the capacity to treat people right. In other words... There are no excuses for treating someone in a sinful way, if you know Christ. If you know Christ, the power of God is at work in you. And are you telling me that the power of God can't change the way you treat others? Of course God can do that, if you'll allow him to have his way in your life. And so there's no excuse for a Christian to mistreat anyone else. Because we're brand new. God's at work in us. He's helping us to grow in these areas and become more like our creator. The word capacity means capability. If you talk about like the capacity of a washing machine, what's the cap- what, how much can it hold? What, what, can it clean, what can it clean? 
And we talk about our capacity to treat people right. We're talking about our capability. In Christ, we are fully capable to treat people in a right way. Right? That's what it's saying here. So the, the starting point for God-honoring relationships is to understand who you are in Christ. You have been given the power of God. The power of God is at work in you to help you to grow in this area. No excuses. Well, wait, I, I've just got problems with my temper. Are you telling me God can't change you in that area? Hmm? Can God do it? Can God change your temper? Well, I, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Can God help you forget? Understand who you are in Christ. But there's a second step to healthy, God-honoring relationships. It's to understand whose you are. You belong to Him. Look what the Bible says there in verse 12. In the midst of this, this passage about social sins and treating people right, look what Paul says. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So before he gives them some, some encouragement to put on the right things, to be characterized by the right things, Paul reminds them of their relationship with God. Look what he calls them, chosen ones. In Christ, God has chosen to save us. We are elect in Christ, chosen ones. The word holy means to be set apart. And then he uses the word beloved. If you know Christ, you are beloved by God. You are, as you look in your notes, you are God's precious possession. God's precious possession. As we focus on our relationships, we need to remember our most important relationship, which is our relationship with God. And I want to tell you something that's very, very important. And a lot of people don't get this, so they're, they live in total conflict with everyone else. But listen to me. The first step in having healthy relationship relationships is to know God personally. In other words, you'll never, you'll never treat people right in your horizontal relationships with others until your vertical relationship with God is right. It'll never happen. Because you can't extend unconditional, God-like love to others until you've experienced it yourself. So if you want to have strong, healthy, God-honoring relationships with others, you need to have a strong relationship with the Father. It's sort of like a, a tributary that comes off of a, a major river. Perhaps a, a tributary that comes off the Mississippi River. It, when that tributary is connected to the river, the waters flow through that tributary and give life to the land that it goes toward. But if that, if that tributary gets blocked up, then, then the, the, the waters from the main river will never, no longer flow through it. You see, we are called to be tributaries. We're called to be connected to the Father, the flow of the unconditional love and mercy and grace of God. And if we're connected to Him, His love and mercy and grace will flow through us to others. The best way to have strong horizontal relationships is to have a strong vertical relationship. In other words, you need to know God personally, you need to be saved, you need to have that relationship with Him, and you need to maintain a, a, a strong, vibrant intimacy with Him so that His love and power and grace will flow through you into the lives of others. Understand whose you are. You are a precious possession of God. And He'll give you what you need to treat other people right. There's a third thing we need to understand here, a third step, if you will, towards healthy, God-honoring relationships, we need to understand other people's worth and value. We're going to need to slow down for a second here. This is important. 
We need to understand other people's worth and value. Look what the Bible says there in verse 11. Here, and I believe the here refers to the body of Christ. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. You know what Paul's saying there? When you look at a brother and sister in Christ, remember Christ is in them. They're in the body of Christ. Christ lives in them. Remember that. Remember that when you want to mistreat them. They have Jesus the same way you have Jesus. And if you can't live in harmony with that person that has Jesus in their life here on earth, you're going to be miserable in heaven because they're going to be there. Right? They're going to be there. And so we need to, we need to understand that, that our, our, our brother and sister in Christ is a precious possession of God too, and Christ lives in them. And we ought to value them and treasure them as one who knows Jesus. You see, when we view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, not just members of the same church, but brothers and sisters in Christ, barriers are destroyed and peace reigns supreme. And that's the goal. Look what it says there in verse 15. Here's the goal. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So we ought to have the peace of Christ ruling and reigning in our hearts so that we can have harmony in the body of Christ. Now I've heard this verse interpreted wrong so many times, and it's usually interpreted wrong in the context of discovering God's will for your life. And it goes something like this. Well, listen, if you want to know God's will for your life, pray about it. And if he gives you a peace, then you know which direction you ought to go. And this verse is quoted. Now, there are times when God gives you a peace. I believe that. And he uses that to guide you. Even though sometimes following Christ is not peaceful. It's very hard. That's an entirely different sermon. But anyway, just let that marinate. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about harmony in the body of Christ. That's the goal. That, that barriers would, that, that, are, that are erected on the outside of the church would just melt away on the inside of the church. And there would be peace and harmony because we're all indwelt by the same Jesus. Now you say, wait, what kind of barriers need to melt away or dissolve in the body of Christ? Well, there's a list found in verse 11. There are racial barriers mentioned here. Look what it says. Here in the body of Christ, there is not, there's no longer that distinction of Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. In the first century, for the most part, the Greeks and the Jews despised one another. There was ethnic prejudice, racial prejudice. They hated one another. He mentions the physical sign of circumcision, which, which was a physical separation between the Greeks and the Jews. And he mentions here that there was this barrier outside of the church. But here in the church, Paul says, there's not that barrier anymore. There's no longer Greek nor Jew. We don't use that barrier to define each other. That ethnic prejudice should, should melt away in the church. Cultural barriers should melt away in the church. Look what it says. Barbarian, Scythian. In Greek culture, they looked at people that weren't Greek as unrefined, as coarse. Mentioned here barbarians. By barbarians, I mean non-Greeks for the most part. And Scythians, these were folks that lived around the Black Sea up north, and they saw them as, you know, sort of, sort of uh, you know, rednecks. They, they, they didn't like them. They were, they, they, were, they, were, they were not refined the way the Greek culture was, and, and they didn't like Scythians. 
Look what Paul says. You get inside the church, there's no longer that, that barrier of barbarian and Scythian and Greek and not. It's, you're all one now. You all have Christ living in you. And, and they're also mentioned here social barriers. Look what it says. Slave and free. In the body of Christ, there's no longer this, this barrier between a slave and a free person. Outside of the walls, there were great barriers. One who was free would often look down on someone that was a slave and, and, and mistreat someone who was a slave. And a slave would often look with suspicion towards someone who was free. And there was this barrier and this conflict outside of the walls of the body of Christ. But Paul's saying, when you get inside the body of Christ, whether you're a slave person or a free person, you have Christ in you, that barrier should dissolve. It was possible that someone who was a slave could be called a pastor of church in the first century and be the spiritual authority over those who were free. Possible. Because Paul's saying these barriers that, that define us outside of the body of Christ should not define us in the body. Of, listen, the only thing that should define us in the body of Christ is you know Jesus, I know Jesus, let's love each other. Right? Last year, 2013, First Baptist Church of Oxford, Mississippi, uh, voted on a, a powerful resolution. And the resolution was a statement of repentance for a past sin that the church had committed. So what was the, the sin? The sin was a decision made in 1968 to exclude African Americans from worship services. So wait, do you have inside information? Well, the pastor, Eric Hankins, is a friend of mine, and he and I talked about this, and he told me the, the, the story. In, in 1968, a deacon made a motion to the church that because of all the, the civil rights controversy surrounding uh, the church and that community, the, the deacon made the motion that the church, First Baptist Church Oxford, should accept anyone to come and worship that would come to attend that church. And they voted on it on a Sunday night and voted that recommendation down, saying everyone is not welcome to worship here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. Well, time passed and things changed, and in the 80s, uh, they started having some African-American members join and attend that church, but no one ever dealt with the vote that took place in 1968. And Eric, the pastor, began to hear things about this, and, and he didn't know what was really going on, but one day someone brought him the minutes of the meeting. And it was there, black print on white paper, that they had made this vote. And so Eric led his church to put forward a statement of repentance, a resolution to say, we were wrong. And we are sorry. And we do not want that to define us as a church any longer. Now, just to kind of anticipate what some people might say about that. Some people might say, wait, those folks that voted in 2013, most of them had nothing to do with what happened in 1968. Why should they have to vote to, to apologize for something that other folks did? You know, over in 2 Samuel chapter 21, God sent a famine on Israel for three years. And he did it because Saul, who was dead and gone by this time, had violated a covenant with the Gibeonites. And God sent a famine to get Israel's attention. And David had to lead Israel to get right with God on that issue. Even though Saul, the one who led him into that, that sin was, was dead and gone. They still had to repent and get right with God. 
And my pastor friend Eric did the same thing with his church body. And amazing stories have come out of that. Reconciliation and harmony and, and some just really neat things happening there in the, the city of Oxford. But that church had to say, and we have to say, in the body of Christ, there are no barriers. We love each other. We serve each other. We treat each other right. And so we got to understand other people's worth and value and love whoever God sends our direction. There's a fourth, there's a fourth step to healthy, God-honoring relationships, and it is put away dysfunction. Put away dysfunction. In verses 8 and 9, Paul gives us a list of things I call relationship destroyers. These things will destroy relationships if left unchecked. Wait, what are the things that destroy relationships? Let me just walk you through the list very quickly, starting there in verse 8. You must put away anger. The word anger there is the word orge. It's translated wrath a little bit earlier in this passage. It, It speaks of a growing inner indignation. It's something on the inside of you that just sits wrong and it it, it begins to boil. And you have this anger toward another or toward a situation and it's just just eating you alive from the inside out. That's anger. And, And then if that anger is not dealt with, then comes the next thing. It's the word wrath there in verse 8. The word there is thumos. It speaks of an intense anger that leads to a passionate outburst. It, it, it speaks of anger that boils over. Anyone in here ever had your anger boil over? Anyone? Anyone? That's what he's talking about. And he's saying, listen, you ought to put that away. Anger should not control your life if you're a believer. Put it away. The, the third word is the word malice. This speaks of a vicious attitude that plans evil for another or rejoices when harm comes to another. It's it's when you mean somebody harm and and you want to hurt them, or when they do get hurt, you you, you rejoice. You think, well, that's good. They deserve that. That's malice, and it has no place in the body of Christ. The next word is the word slander. The, the, The Greek word here is blasphemia. When we think of blasphemy, we think of blasphemy against God. Blasphemy against God is when you say something about God that's not true. Right? And here, the blasphemia, the slander, is when you say something about someone else that is not true. Or to speak against someone in such a way so as to harm them or injure their reputation. It's a a defaming of one's character. And if you let your speech be used to defame someone else, you are guilty of slander. And it happens in the body of Christ. The next word is the word obscene talk. It's a compound word, logia. Logia speaks of our speech. Iskro is the word for, for obscenity or coarse speech. And this word speaks of foul, coarse speech. James speaks of the tongue. And in James, the Bible says that with some folks, from the same mouth, comes blessing and cursing. And he says, this ought not to be so. So if you come to church and you sing songs about grace and you praise Jesus and you say amen and there are blessings coming out of your mouth, but then you leave and filthiness comes out of your mouth, something's not right. And Paul says, put away 
obscene talk. I remember when I was a young man in college, I'd surrendered to the ministry. And I was hanging out with my, my pastor, who was my mentor, Chris Adams, and, and we would just fish a lot and spend some time together, and he, we would talk about ministry and preaching and family life, and it was just great, great time of discipleship. And one day, Chris and I were going fishing. We went to a, a bait and tackle store, and we got some bait, and we were sent outside by a boat, and another gentleman was there, and he was getting ready to go fishing, so we began to talk to him about what he was doing and where he was going, and this man just began to just curse. I mean, it was foul. Just beep, beep, beep. And he had no idea that he was talking to a pastor and a, a young man who had been called to preach. And I looked over at Chris, my pastor, he just winked at me, you know. And this guy just kept going and kept going. Um, the reality is, if he would have known he was talking to a pastor, he would have been horrified. There was a time I was playing golf, and uh, we had a, 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 a fourth man that was playing. We had three guys playing, and a fourth man uh, came to play with us. So he was riding in my cart, and we started on the first hole, beep, 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 beep. And we began to talk, and, and I asked him about what he did for a living, and finally he said, what do you do for a living? And I, 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 said, I said it like this, I'm a Baptist preacher. And he was embarrassed. But listen to me. Why should people be embarrassed about saying something in front of a preacher? I mean, shouldn't we be concerned about what God thinks? I've had people say to me, I'm sorry, beep, sorry preacher, like it matters what I think. What does God think, right? If you're a believer, coarse speech should not characterize your life. It just doesn't add up. Put it away, he says. That's the old you. It doesn't reflect well on the Lord Jesus. Put it away. And the, the last word is the word lying. Look what it says there in verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with this practice. Lying here speaks of misleading someone by not telling the truth or not telling the whole truth. You, you can't have strong relationships when you're deceitful. Because when you're deceitful, there's no trust. And you can't have a strong relationship without trust, right? So put away lying. There's, there's no place in our relationships to, de- to deceive someone or, or mislead someone. Put away lying. Listen, we should deal quickly and decisively with sins that harm our relationships. So wait, how do you do that? How do you deal with those sins? You confess them to God as sin and you repent. Proverbs 28, 13 says we ought to confess and repent. Tell God it's wrong and ask God to help us go in a new direction. I don't want to be like that anymore. God, help me to change. That's, that's repentance. You may have heard me tell the story before, but I've got some friends here at the church that, that served in another church years and years ago. I don't, I'm not going to say the name of the church or anything like that, but, but at a particular business meeting, things got heated between two deacons. And it's a true story because the folks that are my friends were there to witness this. And during the course of the, the business meeting, as these two deacons were fighting, one deacon took a microphone cord and wrapped it around another deacon's neck. And had to be separated. Which, by the way, that's why we use cordless mics here. <laughs> kidding, kidding. But you know what that is? It's just anger, wrath, malice. It's just, the, it's just the old sin nature rearing its ugly head, right? And that kind of stuff happens in the body of Christ. And Paul's saying it ought not to happen in the body of Christ. That's the old you. Put it away. Lay it aside, which leads to the fifth thing. We'll be through. The fifth step to healthy, God-honoring relationships is this. Put on Christ-like character in the power of the Spirit. 
You put aside the old you. You confess, you repent, but then you put on the, the, the character of Jesus. We talked about some relationship destroyers. Paul gives us a list of relationship developers. These things strengthen your relationships. Look what the Bible says there in verse 12. The first word is the word uh, compassionate hearts, the first phrase. Compassionate hearts. This word speaks of, of tender feelings toward others. The, the word heart there is interesting in the original Greek language. It's the word for bowels. It's the way the Greeks would just communicate deep down affection. So it'd be like, I love you from deep, deep inside of me, from down in my bowels. Anybody get that Valentine's Day card Friday? I love you from my bowels. Not real romantic, right? But in the Greek culture, it meant a lot. They say, I love you from deep, the deepest part of me, I, I love you and care about you. And Paul, Paul here is saying, from deep down inside of you, you ought to have tender compassion toward others. Tender feelings toward others. Not just you, not just you, don't, you don't just put up with people but you really care about them with tenderness. The next word is the word kindness, verse 12. This means to provide something good or beneficial for another, to treat them kindly, to treat them with a Christ-like kindness, to help them, to benefit them, to bless them. The third word is the word humility in verse 12. This speaks of the absence of self-exaltation. And the best way for me to define humility in our relationships with others is to say this, others first. It's what humility is. It means you put others ahead of yourself. Others first. The next word is the word meekness. This speaks of self-controlled gentleness. Some people look at that word and say, wait, I don't want to be meek. I'm not a doormat. I'm not, I'm not going to let people mistreat me. And they look at meekness as an undesirable character trait. But listen to me. Biblical meekness is not weakness. I love what Kent Hughes writes. He writes, There is gentleness and self-effacement in this word, but behind the gentleness is a steel-like strength. For the supreme characteristic of the meek man or woman is that he or she is under perfect control. Gentleness, meekness, is strength under control. Numbers 12.3 tells us that Moses was the most meek man on earth, but at the same time, Moses was a man, of, a man who could act decisively, be as hard as nails, and rise in anger at the proper time. Those wearing the true garment of gentleness or meekness are immensely powerful people, for they are controlled by God. So, so meekness here is not, I'm a doormat. Meekness is, God has controlled my life, so I do not respond incorrectly. It's strength under control. Proverbs 15.1 says, listen, a gentle answer turns away wrath. If someone is angry with you or hurt by you or upset by you and they are coming at you with wrath, when you respond gently, it just takes the air out of their cells. And that anger begins to dissipate. God told us how to have healthy relationships, meekness. The next word is the word patience in verse 12. This speaks of long-suffering in the face of insult or injury. Ability to bear up under provocation. Look what it says there. The last word is patience. Then in verse 13, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Patient with one another. Listen to me. Aren't you glad, glad that God's patient with us? Raise your hand if you're glad about that. I'm telling you, I, I, I'm a person that needs God's patience. And I'm so grateful that God has been patient with me through all these years. Paul's saying... 
the patience that you've received from God should be extended to others. Because other people are a work in progress. And hey, newsflash, you're a work in progress. Right? See, some of you right now are thinking, boy, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this sermon. No, you need to hear this sermon. I need to hear this sermon. We're all works in progress, right? Patience. And then the next word is the word forgiveness. And we could do an entire sermon series about this. Look in verse 13. Bearing with one another, one has to complain against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We are called to be forgivers. We are called to forgive others, showing them the grace we have been shown by God. And so biblical forgiveness is always rooted in the forgiveness we've received from God. In other words, if we've received his forgiveness for all of our stuff, we ought to be willing to extend forgiveness for all of their stuff. And Jesus shared a powerful parable over in Matthew. He shared the story of a man that owed another man $20 million. I'm paraphrasing. But $20 million. Huge amount of money. And the man couldn't pay it. So the man he was in debt to forgave him of his debt. Said, you don't have to pay me anything. You are forgiven your debt. And this man is excited. He's rejoicing. $20 million. The debt's been lifted. I'm not under that anymore. It's been forgiven. Wow. Great freedom, right? But then Jesus says, this man who had been forgiven a $20 million debt had another man that owed him 20 bucks. And the man that owed him 20 bucks came up one day and said, listen, I don't have the money to pay you right now. And the man who had been forgiven $20 million flew into a rage, threw the man in jail. And it's clear what Jesus is saying to that parable, right? How can we who have been forgiven of everything we've ever done or ever will do, all of our iniquity, all of our rebellion, all of our immorality, is all been forgiven by Jesus? How can we who've received that forgiveness withhold it from others? God's forgiven us our $20 million. How can we not forgive somebody their 20 bucks? And I'm not saying that we don't go through things that are very harmful and hurtful. But through the power of Jesus, we can forgive. And we're called to forgive. The last word is the word love. Look in verse 14. I love how Paul ties this all together. Above all these, all these other things I mentioned, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the chief virtue of Christianity because all of the virtues flow from it. That's what Jesus said. When he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God vertically, love others horizontally. And he said, these things encompass all the law and prophets. In other words, if you love God and love others, it takes care of all the other commands in the Bible. So if you're a person of love, then you'll be a person of forgiveness. If you're a person of love, you'll be a person of compassion. If you're a person of love, you'll be a person of meekness and kindness. Now, hopefully as we walk through this list, starting in verse 12, you started to see some things that were, were familiar. Because there's another list found over in Galatians that's called the fruit of the Spirit. And some of the same words that are found in the fruit of the Spirit passage, Galatians 5, are found in this passage. Wait, what should we make of that? Here's what we should make of it. 
Christ-like character is not something you produce. It's something the Spirit produces through you. That's why this point is, put on Christ-like character in the power of the Spirit. See, the wrong way to deal with a sermon like this is to walk away and say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to forgive. I'm just going to do better, Wade. I'm going I'm to clean up my life. Listen, you can't live this kind of life apart from the power of God. You can't do it. You see, the Christian ethic is not do better or try harder. The Christian ethic is surrender and let God have his way in your life. And if you'll surrender daily to the power of the Spirit of God, he'll bear fruit through you. He'll he'll make you meek. He'll make you gentle. He'll make you kind. He'll make you loving. He'll grant you the, the, the power to forgive others as he lives his life through you. You know, when conditions are right, you know what an apple tree does? Bears apples, right? That's what it does. And if conditions are right in our life, i.e., if we are surrendered to the Spirit of God, He'll bear fruit. There will be change. He will clothe us in Christ-like character. But we've got to let Him have His way in our life daily. And so the point of this message is not do better, try harder. The point of this message is surrender. Surrender daily. And let the Spirit of God have His way in your life. That's the point of this message. And so, we heard the poem. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. But what if that wasn't our story at Longview Point? What if, We really did love each other. No one's perfect in this room. We're going to let each other down. We're going to have things we see differently and disagree on. But in the power of the Spirit, with Christ-like compassion and character and love, we can be a body of Christ that reflects to a lost and dying world. Listen, the difference that Jesus makes in relationships. Relationships.